Welcome to Quest, where we believe a great faith, great church experience, and great life is grounded in authentic relationship with God and living life with friends. Join us today in changing our world one friendship at a time. If you would like more information about connecting at Quest, stay tuned after the message. You doing well? We start a new series today. Uh, we're going to start with what Jesus' words are in John 14, 15, 16. We'll be camping there an awful lot through this series. John 14, 15, 16 is one conversation Jesus has with his 12 close followers. And, and in this, Jesus makes a really major point. He basically says, I'm going to go away, but my going away is going to make it so much better. Jesus actually says it this way in the text. He says, but tr- very truly I tell you, it is for your good that I'm going away. Unless I go away, the advocate, he's referring to the Holy Spirit, will not come to you. But if I go, I will send him to you. I have much more to say to you, more than you can now bear. But when the Spirit of truth, when he, the Spirit of truth, comes, he will guide you into all truth. So Jesus is saying the Holy Spirit is incredibly better than a person-to-person, face-to-face conversation with Jesus, God in the flesh. Yet, I think if we were given the choice between our experience with the Holy Spirit and the face-to-face conversation with Jesus, I think most of us would choose the face-to-face with Jesus. Why? Because I think most of us are underwhelmed by this connection to the Holy Spirit that we have that Jesus is so excited about us having. Most of us would trade the gift of the Holy Spirit back for a direct encounter with Jesus. And we see this in the statistics today. There's a cultural research center that examines the beliefs of the U.S. adult population on an annual basis. The 2021 survey showed that there's still a very broad spectrum of people who self-identify as Christians. In fact, 69% of individuals in the U.S. identify as Christian. That's 176 million adults. However, only 6%, 15 million, hold anything resembling a Christian biblical worldview, such as the Bible is the Word of God, accurate, reliable, uh, God is all-knowing, all-powerful, creator of the universe and still rules the universe today, such as uh, our moral choices either honor or dishonor God and having the accurate understanding of the gospel. Only 6% of Americans fall into that category of, of biblical worldview. Of the 69% of Americans who call themselves Christians, 58% contend that the Holy Spirit is not a real living being, but is merely a symbol of God's power, presence, and purity. Maybe that doesn't surprise you, but what may surprise you is that even among the 6% of Christians who possess a biblical worldview, 39% believe the same thing, that the Holy Spirit is merely a symbol and not a person. This means the majority of Christians are not aware that the Holy Spirit can be known and we can be known by the Holy Spirit. The majority of Christians live their lives around the teachings of Jesus but are unaware of how close the Spirit of God is really to us. The great concern that this is to me is it's huge. But I get it. I mean, the Trinity, the Holy Spirit, is more mysterious than the Father and the Son. We can visualize the Father because of our images of parenting. We have clear images of Jesus in Scripture that we can relate to and and, and admire, 
But the Spirit is harder to see as a person. The Holy Spirit is a being. In Acts 5, 3, Peter says Ananias lied to the Holy Spirit. Then in verse 4, Peter tells Ananias, you have not just lied to human beings, but to God. Throughout the Bible, the Holy Spirit is referred to in terms of equality with God the Father and God the Son. Jesus says in Matthew 28, 19, that his followers are to baptize and make disciples in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. And yet the Spirit is different. Jesus tells his followers, When the Advocate comes, whom I will send to you from the Father, the Spirit of truth who goes out from the Father, he will testify about me. So notice, Jesus didn't say the Spirit of the Father, the Spirit who goes out from the Father, distinct and different from the Father. The Holy Spirit is a person, evident by doing things that are considered personal and relational, like any person would. The Bible speaks of numerous ways of, the, of how the Spirit is personal and has relational attributes. The Spirit can be grieved, that can be insulted. The Spirit can help and intercede on our behalf. So Jeremy, Wendy, and I have been praying about what God is wanting to do within us at Quest, and we did a series over the holidays, RSVPing to God's invitation, because we sense that God is inviting us to join Him in something personally and as a church, and He wants us to prepare our hearts for what He is doing, something really good, but that preparation of our hearts needs to be also an RSVP where we say, yeah, I want that. And as we pull into this invitation, we felt like God was inviting us to more of the Holy Spirit, and we landed on this series, Come Holy Spirit. We love this simple prayer, Come Holy Spirit, for many reasons. We love it. It's, it's been a prayer prayed by the church for thousands of years for the Holy Spirit to come and move among us. It's also a prayer that's significant in the Vineyard Movement, of which we're a part. On Mother's Day 1980, the pastor and founder of the Vineyard Movement, John Wimber, had a guest speaker, Lonnie Frisbee, teaching at an evening service and Ended his message praying this simple prayer, Come Holy Spirit. And all heaven broke loose that night, and including in a, leading to an entire movement of churches uh, that have grown around this idea of this prayer, where people have a deep encounter with God himself through the Holy Spirit. And thousands upon thousands upon thousands have come to faith in Jesus, along with experiencing miracles now all over the world. The second reason we love this prayer is because it flips God's invitation to us that we were talking about over Christmas. He's making an invitation that we need RSVP to, but now it says we are now responding to God and we're inviting Him into our lives as well. Maybe it's apparent these past years, but we really long for more of the Holy Spirit in our lives. But historically, this has been a point of huge division in church about the Holy Spirit. We have certain churches that focus on preaching the Bible with excellence and intellect, yet the experience of the Holy Spirit is minimized if it's talked about at all. And then we have other churches where the Holy Spirit is emphasized, but the Bible is more used for kind of adding bits of wisdom and proof texting their experience. Both approaches keep the church living in the shallow waters of Christianity, and we forget the depth of what God has actually planned for us and what he's excited to give us. Now, I'm also aware that when we talk about the Holy Spirit, we all have lots of different experiences. And for some, it immediately puts up a guard when we talk about the Holy Spirit. 
maybe because of experiences where you felt unsafe or things were confusing and weird and you didn't understand them, or, or maybe because you were told to be suspicious of anything too weird, or, or maybe you just were told not much about the Holy Spirit or, or that doesn't happen today. For others, you hear the Holy Spirit and you're like, yeah, can we finally get going with this thing? See, our heart for our church and for each of you is to live in what Jesus was so excited about giving us, to have the gift of the Holy Spirit indwell us, not for dividing us. See, I think the division and the suspicion around the Holy Spirit just tremendously grieves the heart of God. So how can we pursue the Holy Spirit, invite the Holy Spirit in ways that honor God and bring us into a greater depth of what Jesus envisioned for us to live in and walk out? Because it is the Bible and the Holy Spirit that guide us together, not one or the other, it is together. So let's jump into understanding more about the Holy Spirit whom we're inviting to come more into our lives. See, we want the Holy Spirit to be more than a familiar stranger. We've been researching and preparing today's message uh, in the process, and I just want to give a little credit here to a guy named Pastor Tyler Statton. We're drawing a lot of the ideas for how to deal with this message from him, so we just want to give him some credit. So we're going to do a brief summary from Genesis, Genesis to Revelation of how the Spirit was active in creation, in the Old Testament, with Jesus, in the early church, and now with us. So let's start at the very beginning, Genesis 2. But for Adam, no suitable helper was found. So the Lord God caused the man to fall into deep sleep. And while he was sleeping, he took one of the man's rib and then closed up the place with flesh. And then the Lord God made a woman from the rib he had taken out of the man, and he brought her to the man. Now, this word rib is really fascinating. It's a Hebrew word, hasela. And it probably doesn't mean rib in the biological sense. The exact word appears over 40 times in the Old Testament and almost always refers to the sacred side of a piece of architecture like a temple or a tabernacle built for the presence of God, meaning Adam and Eve's bodies were temples made for the presence of God, God's spirit. That's what this word is getting at. We translate it because it's the only way to understand it in our world. We translate it as rib. In Exodus, we see God's presence guiding and being with the Israelites through the desert in a cloud. Eventually, God instructs Moses to build a tabernacle, which is basically a really glammed-up tent, but a specific dwelling for God's Spirit to be with His people. And this is revolutionary because the gods of that day, like sun and God, moon God, all the other gods they worshipped, often were bound to a specific location. The idea of the Israelites' God moving with his people, traveling with them, helping them know where to go was a revolutionary concept, more personal than the other gods of the day. The final verses of Exodus share how the Holy Spirit shows up. It says, Then the cloud covered the tent of meeting, and the glory of the Lord filled the temple. And Moses could not enter the tent of meeting because the cloud had settled on it, and the glory of the Lord filled the tabernacle. So after Israel's transition from being nomadic, and they're more settled into the promised land, we see this huge major upgrade to, Solomon, to, this, to this God's house with King Solomon's temple. This elaborate temple constructed in the center of Jerusalem where we see something familiar happen. When the priests withdrew from the holy place, the cloud filled the temple of the Lord, and the priests could not perform their service because of the cloud, for the glory of the Lord filled the temple. 
So we see this pattern repeated of the Spirit showing up in powerful ways. We see God's presence with the people. Israel could see that God's Spirit was with them. He was clearly seen in the dense cloud that filled the temple and the tent. Yet there was no intimacy, no personal closeness. Even in Moses' tabernacle, Moses couldn't go in because the glory of the Lord was so powerful. In Solomon's temple, when God showed up, even the priests couldn't do their services. The high priests were the only ones who could enter the presence of God, and that only once a year on Yom Kippur. And then they tied a rope around the priest's ankle just in case he had done something really bad and died in the presence of God that they could pull his body out without anybody else going in there. Kind of a funny, weird concept, right? The tabernacle was a place of God's presence, but the people did not have intimacy with God personal relationship with God like in the Garden of Eden. As we continue, we see the disciple John describe Jesus. It says, The Word became flesh and made His dwelling among us. We have seen His glory, the glory of the one and only Son, who came from the Father full of grace and truth. So this Greek word for dwelling means pitched His tent among them, making the most literal translation of this text being the Word became flesh and tabernacled among them. So we move from the Old Testament where God's Spirit fills the tabernacle and Jesus now is the tabernacle or the temple that the glory of God's Spirit fills. Jesus is a living, breathing, walking, talking tabernacle. We see Jesus act like the tabernacle of God's Spirit in many ways and it gets him in trouble with the religious people which is you know, kind of the same things. Some things never change in life, right? Jesus started to do things that were only done in the temple, but he does them outside of the temple. For example, Jesus walked around and said to the people they were forgiven. But that's not how things were done. According to the law, you needed to go to the temple to offer the right sacrifices, and only then could the priest grant you, by the grace of God, a forgiveness if you did the right rituals. But Jesus asks if people want to repent, He doesn't require them to go to the temple. No cleansing, no sacrifice, no earthly priest. Just, you're forgiven. You're set free. Remember the first time Jesus enters the temple as an adult? Here's what the text says. Jesus returned to Galilee. Actually, it's a synagogue. The temple in the uh, uh, the Galilee in the power of the Spirit. And news about him spread through the whole countryside. He was teaching in their synagogues and everyone praised him. He went to Nazareth where he had been brought up. And on the Sabbath day, he went into the synagogue, as was his custom. And he stood up to read, and the scroll of the prophet Isaiah was handed to him. Unrolling it, he found the place where it is written, The Spirit of the Lord is on me, because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim freedom for the prisoners and recovery of sight for the blind, to set the oppressed free, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. And then Jesus says, This scripture is fulfilled today in your presence. In reading this, Jesus is fulfilling messianic prophecy. After he gets done reading it, the entire congregation tries to push Jesus off the cliff and stone him. Why? When Jesus says, the Spirit of the Lord is on me, he is claiming to be the tabernacle. The Jews believe God dwells in the temple. 
But Jesus is saying, I am the container of God's presence. I am filled with God's Spirit. And this was too much for them. Jesus doesn't just demand they accept what he is saying. He actually shows them in Scripture what it looks like when God fills a person with his glory. They bring freedom for the poor, imprisoned, heal incurable diseases, and bring God's favor. We see Jesus do this over and over again. Bringing good news, healing the blind, all who are sick, bringing freedom. Remember when Jesus drove all, all the people out of the temple courts because of the money changers who had turned the temple into the market? Jesus wanted to, the Jews wanted to know why Jesus thought he had the authority to do that. And Jesus answered them saying this, Destroy this temple and I will raise it again in three days. And they're standing in the middle of the Jewish temple and they're all confused. They're going, what do you mean? It took us 46 years to build this thing. And the text goes on and says, but the temple he, Jesus, had spoken of was his body. Jesus is talking about Hasela, about Adam's rib, his body being the living, breathing, walking, talking temple of God. Jesus was talking about the Holy Spirit and where it resides and what it's doing. Jesus was showing them that he was the container for God's Holy Spirit. And through his death and resurrection and the three, day, the three days that came up, there will be an incredible upgrade, Jesus is saying. So after Jesus was resurrected from the dead and appeared to his followers, we see him say to his followers, and Jesus said, Peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, I am sending you. And with that, he breathed on them and said, receive the Holy Spirit. See, Jesus is saying, the Father sent me to this world as a living, breathing tabernacle. Now I send you into this world as a living, breathing tabernacle filled with the presence of God. Now you do it. The presence and power of God that they had seen at work in Jesus was something Jesus wanted them to practice. This is where the early church is formed. The book of Acts shows us the very followers of Jesus indeed did start doing the very same stuff Jesus did outside of the temple. They preached the gospel. They did miraculous healings. We see stories of jail cells coming open. Peter and John healing a paralytic man. Paul raises a boy who was bored while he was sleep while Paul was sleeping and fell out of the second story and to his death. And Paul goes down and raises him from the dead and heals him by the Spirit of God working through him. These followers are daily sharing the gospel and seeing the Spirit of God save people, and giving to the poor and the oppressed. That wasn't perfect. You don't have to read very far in the New Testament to see that. There were so many flaws. There were definitely challenges. But the supernatural was present in ordinary people. In fact, the rest of the Bible is ordinary people in whom the Spirit of God is tabernacling carrying on Jesus' ministry. And that leads us to us. Paul writes to the church at Corinth, which is a letter to us, and he says, Don't you know that you yourselves are God's temple and that God's Spirit dwells in your midst? You yourselves in the Greek is plural, meaning he's saying a southern y'all, right? 
This is about a gathered community, a church. When we gather, we are God's temple, a place where God's spirit dwells. It's not a building that the church is about. It's about a community bound together by the presence of the Holy Spirit. That's why gathering is so important. When we come together, the glory of the Lord is in the atmosphere, just like Moses in the tent and Solomon's temple. I know it's challenging as we try to do church in, the, in, in this whole virus thing and all this stuff, but in, in terms of gathering, and we've got to navigate all the individual needs and comfort levels and health needs, and that's okay. I, I don't want to ding that, but it is so, so important to see how the Holy Spirit is so evident when we gather and expect Him to be present. So we have a corporate temple where God's Spirit is, and just a few chapters later, Paul switches the focus again. Now it is a singular you that he's saying. This time it is your individual body we are talking about. And he says, Do you not know that your bodies are the temple of the Holy Spirit, who is in you, whom you have received from God? You are not your own, You were bought at a price. Therefore, honor God with your bodies. Your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit. It is Hasala, a dwelling place of God through the Holy Spirit. To summarize all this, at creation, God creates Adam and Eve's bodies as dwelling places for a spirit. They are living temples. God is bringing us back to that. And the Old Testament, we see God fill Moses' tent and tabernacle and then Solomon's temple with his spirit where God comes to live with his people. And then in Jesus, God fills him in a way that Jesus is a temple filled with the Holy Spirit whose life, death, and resurrection break every barrier between us and God. And then God gives us the ability to be a community where we gather and the Holy Spirit is present in our midst. And further, the Holy Spirit comes to dwell in us, each one of us who accept Jesus' offer of salvation. God's Spirit has been given to you. Why? Remember the long conversation Jesus had with his followers before he was arrested and crucified? He says, Very truly I tell you, whoever believes in me will do the works I have been doing And they will do even greater things than these because I am going to the Father and giving you this wonderful, spectacular gift of the Holy Spirit. Now, there's lots of debates about how we interpret greater things. Let's not get lost in the debates. This means there's going to be greater things. Whatever that looks like, it's going to be great. It's going to be awesome. It's going to be good. It's something we should desire. Who gets to do greater things than Jesus did? The text says, whoever, whoever believes in me will do the works I have been doing and they will do even greater things than these because I'm going to the Father and sending you the Holy Spirit. I like how Jordan Sang describes the Holy Spirit's job. He says it's, it's, he's the one who makes the impractical practicable. The impractical, supernatural, miraculous things of God are made practicable by the Holy Spirit. It's not just for the super spiritual, but for whoever. It's for the ordinary person. 
And it's not just for the extreme situations, but it's for our everyday lives. It's for the stressed out parent who can't keep up juggling work and family and doesn't know how to deal with that. It's for the one who's struggling with sexual boundaries with a girlfriend or boyfriend. It's for the one who's got a deadline and they're sick and they don't know how they're going to find the energy to make that deadline. It's for whoever and for whatever. What would it be like if we all joined in on this adventure? What would it be like to be more aware and more empowered to be part of what God is wanting to do in our lives, in our friends' lives, in our community because we are more aware of the Holy Spirit with each and every one of us? What would it be like to see the power of the Holy Spirit working through us for others? Seeing healings, divine wisdom breaking in, people being saved, answers to questions we need answers to. On that last night with his disciples, Jesus had a dream in his heart of his followers doing what he did and more by the power of the Holy Spirit. And this may be the greatest tragedy in the church in our time. that We sort of dismiss. We sort of stay distant from the Holy Spirit. Some of us like to call ourselves biblical, but we kind of dismiss everything in the Bible about the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit, Jesus says, is a gift and he's thrilled about the possibilities when we receive that gift. And yet so often we say, no thank you. See, as we saw in the survey, most Christians aren't aware of the Holy Spirit, how close this gift is to us that Jesus so wanted us to have. Billy Graham, many of us know his name, a solid preacher of the gospel all over the world, was known, not known for being charismatic in his theology. And yet he said this. He said, everywhere I go, I find God's people lacking something. They are hungry for something. Their Christian experience is not all that they expected, and they often have recurring defeat in their lives. Christians today are hungry for spiritual fulfillment. The most desperate need of the nation today is that men and women who profess Jesus be filled with the Holy Spirit. He saw a great need and a great longing for the Holy Spirit. So why don't we experience more of it, more of the Holy Spirit? Maybe because our culture is more intellectual. I don't know. We're just not given to spiritual experience. Maybe we're suspicious because of experiences we've had and people who have abused things. And Why do do we let people who abuse things take away the gift that things are so often? I I don't get that. We like to look at things from a logical perspective, I think. And then if it seems acceptable, then maybe we'll open to the experiencing it. But if you honestly study Jesus, Jesus most often had people experience things and then he explains the experiences. Experience in the Bible often comes first and teaching and understanding it often comes second. We see it as a pattern throughout the entire Bible. People keep having experiences with God and then sort out the meaning of it. Just look at the early church. 
Many, if not most of them, couldn't read. They were ordinary people who were experiencing God, and then it took time for them to understand what was happening. God taught them in the midst of pouring out His Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit was such a living reality for the early church, which means if we want to know the Holy Spirit more, we want to be led by the Holy Spirit more, we have to be more comfortable with God bringing experience first, even when we don't understand it, even when it may seem a little confusing, and then explanations come later. But that's not comfortable, is it? Simon Ponsonby, an Oxford theologian, intellectual giant, wrote this. He says, I purposely emphasize the word experience, and I'll seek to show from the Scripture the importance of experience. And then he says this, A non-experiential religion is suspect, for it fails to deal with the totality of our being. John Wesley, another great leader in history, A man may be orthodox in every point, he says, And may all the while be as great a stranger to the religion of the heart. And in that, he's referring to our experience of the presence of God and the Holy Spirit. Authentic Christianity will engage our hearts, our souls, and our minds. So we got a lot more we're going to talk about through this series, but our focus for today is this. The Holy Spirit is a person that we're called to know, not just a force or a symbol. And our goal is not just to gain knowledge about the Holy Spirit so we can talk intelligently about Him. Our goal is to experience Him relationally, to know the Holy Spirit personally. So back to our first question. If you were given a chance between a choice between a face-to-face conversation with Jesus or an experience of the Holy Spirit, what would you choose? Jesus told his disciples that the Holy Spirit is an incredible improvement to the direct face-to-face conversation with God in the flesh. But a question for all of us is, how well do we know the Holy Spirit? How much effort have we put in to knowing the Holy Spirit. See, God designed for the church to be led by the Holy Spirit. Now again, that's going to be imperfect because the Holy Spirit is given to ordinary flawed people like every single one of us in this room. But here's the point. Even if you feel too flawed, even if you feel too unholy, if you are a follower of Jesus, God gives you the Holy Spirit. And he wants you to intimately know the Holy Spirit. And God wants you to bring all of who you are to him, the flaws, everything. He's the one who saves you. He's the one who wants to know you. He's already dealt with all of that, so just bring it all to him. How about some ideas to make us get to know the Holy Spirit more this week? Some of us, again, have had wonderful experience with the Holy Spirit. Others have had more negative or confusing experiences. Some of us have had wonderful and confusing. We don't know where we stand on it. Some are hungering for more of the Holy Spirit, and maybe others are just kind of hesitant and fearful for various reasons. Regardless of where you are, I want to encourage you to have a conversation with your family, your friends, maybe at lunch today, or maybe your small group this week, about where you are at in relation to the Holy Spirit. 
And here's some ideas how to do that. Maybe briefly describe what you were taught or what you understood about the Holy Spirit from the, in the past. What are some of the misconceptions that you have had about the Holy Spirit? And what are some of the obstacles or fears you have when you think about inviting more of the Holy Spirit into your life? What makes you uncomfortable with doing that? And don't forget this one. What hopes stir you as you consider a life with more of the Holy Spirit? And maybe this week, start some of these practices. When you wake up, instead of grabbing the phone right away in the morning, take, take two minutes and just quietly breathe this prayer. Come, Holy Spirit. Come into my day. Show me where you're at work today in my life. And then pause. Just be silent. Receive from him. For some, you may sense the Holy Spirit giving you a sense of peace. You may sense a word, a scripture, a picture. You may sense him speaking to you. Others will just be silent. It will be quiet. That's okay. But just practice making room to be aware of the Holy Spirit who is tabernacling with you throughout your day. And you could also end your day by celebrating the ways in which you saw the Holy Spirit at work and inviting him to reveal to you the ways he was working that maybe you didn't notice earlier in the day. So would you just stand with me? And we're just going to pause. We're not necessarily be in a hurry. We're not going to take a long time, but we're not going to be in a hurry. And for me, it's always helpful. You don't have to do this, but for me, when I want to when invite God to be more in my life, I just, I, I take an open posture. For me, it's just helpful to align my body with what I want my spirit to be receiving and what my, but you know, there's no pressure. This is just me. If it's helpful to you, do it. And Lord, we just pray, come Holy Spirit. Would you just come into this space right now. Lord, we know you're, we know you're here. But we want more of you. We want to be more aware of you. We want to know you better. So come, Holy Spirit. Maybe in your own voice, just say, Holy Spirit, how, how do you want to be known to me right now? How do, you want, how, how do you want me to know you right now? Spirit, we welcome you. And we recognize our discomfort with the fact that we know we can't control you. Even from the biblical passages we looked at today, when you show up in all of your power and glory, you can't even stand in your presence. Lord, we welcome you. We want you to be real in our lives.
Our closing worship song is going to give us an opportunity to stay in that place of inviting him more. And I just also want to encourage you that the Bible says, I forget the address in the text. I, I have a hard time remembering book and chapter and all that kind of stuff. It says, when we praise him, that his presence fills the place. Now, his presence is already here, but what's that saying? When we praise him, when we start to align ourselves with him, when we start to look at how great he is, we become more aware, and his presence manifests itself in ways that are stronger, more powerful, more beautiful, more tangible. So let's just enter this last moment of this song and continue to ask him to come with that expectation. It's an expectation we can have that's and be confident in because it's in his word. It's what he says. Says he, that's how he responds. He comes and responds to us in our worship. So let's just sing and let's invite God. We hope you encountered the love of Jesus in this message. If you'd like to be a part of the ministry God is doing through Quest, whether in person or online, go to questvineyard.org for more information. If you want to worship God by supporting Quest financially, go to questvineyard.org slash give. May God bless you this week as you partner with God to change the world one friendship at a time.